Hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Blake Benz Podcast. Excited about today's episode. I got some things to talk about, and it was tough. Honestly, it was tough to talk about or to think about what I wanted to talk about in today's episode because I have a few different things, a few different concepts that I've been navigating over the last few days, uh, especially in the last week. And I'll go ahead and just I'll, I'll throw out a couple of them that is just top of mind, and then I'll jump into what I actually want to dig into today. So earlier this week, my wife and I were expecting a baby in March, which we're thrilled about, and also kind of like all of a sudden, I'm like super freaked out by it. Like, so we've been married, we've been together for, we were doing the math, it's like been eight years that we've been together. And, you know, there's people I feel like (laughs) there's people who I feel like they get married and they instantly get pregnant. And so, like, all they've known is parenthood. And then there's us who, you know, we really just waited a while. And, you know, we have a a couple that we know who, like, they got pregnant when they got married at 19 and immediately pregnant. And it's like, dear God, you poor person, (laughs) which, you know, parenting's awesome. It's great. I I, we're so excited for it, but I'm also really grateful for the time that Joy and I have had together because it's let us actually like figure out how do we do life together? You know, because it's not enough to just love. (laughs) It's not enough to just be in love. You have to also like mechanically figure out, okay, we live together. I live with this person. Like we're, we're not just in love, but we're roommates. So like, how do we not be frustrated at each other and enjoy each other as like true good friends. And so the last several years have been important in building that. So we have this baby list and, you know, it's like the gift registry for people to buy you, I guess, like diapers and like things like that for the upcoming baby. And it's all, it's kind of a little awkward because, you know, you don't want to like stack the list with like ridiculously expensive things where people are like, you know, it's kind of like the couple who they get married in like Hawaii and they ask you to like make the trip out to see them get married. And you're like, yeah, right. Well, so we have this baby list and it has like stuff that's like varying prices and things like that. And the literally the most expensive thing on there is this baby stroller that's like it's amazing like where technology has gone it's like a 3 in 1 car seat stroller you know <laughs> rock the baby I, i'm sure it just does everything for your child well this thing is like $400 and so we're putting it on there we're thinking like yikes like is anyone even like should we even put this on here? Like, do people, and and so Joy's like, no, you know, stroller's important, they're expensive, you know, let's just put it on there, we'll just see what happens. Well, this week, we got a package in the mail, this big box, and it was the stroller, and someone had bought it for us. And so we were like, what the heck? Who would have done this? This is incredible. Like, you know, surely this must have been like a relative or somebody. Well, turns out, it was actually one of Joy's customers, And we were just blown away. We were just like, wow, this person who's already paying Joy hundreds of dollars has now just spent $400 on a stroller for our future family. And we've never met this person. You know, she she works with this person out of like California or something, or actually, I don't know where she works with her and uh, but somewhere else other than Arkansas. And this person who is just such a generous, kind, amazing person and who likes Joy so much decided to gift this incredible gift to us. And so it's got me thinking about, man, there's 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 customers and then there's raving fans. There's the people who love what you sell to the point of they will they will go out of their way to gift you and give you more money and things like that because they simply love what you do. 
A great example of this is like whenever a new iPhone comes out, it's amazing how 10 years later people will still line up to get that next iPhone. So I've been thinking about that concept. I've also been thinking about another concept of how I'm kind of annoyed at how every conversation I have with startup founders is about, well, how do I get funding? And if you're not in the startup world, it's it's you can think of it as people who who they start a business and they think that they're different from every other business owner in the sense of things that are normally dysfunctional for businesses. I find that startup founders will be like, oh, well, we're a startup, so it's it's okay. So a great example would be a startup that has zero customers, and they'll say, well, we're a startup. You know, in fact, I talked to a business. I guess this would have been maybe, I think it was about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Well, they didn't have a product and they said, well, we've been we've been in the product phase for three years. And I was like, okay, that's that's not a product phase. That's deep dysfunction for your business. Well, so one of these things that are really dysfunctional is I see a lot of startup founders who talk about, well, how do I get funding? What's the secret to funding? Like, how do I get that first big investor? And they don't have a customer. They don't have a product. They don't have anything that they're developing. And they're caring more about the funders than they are the people that they're trying to serve. So that's a whole nother conversation that maybe I need to do an episode on that at some point. The third thing that I've been thinking about, and this is the thing that I really want to drill down on today, and it's this concept of your hedgehog statement for your business. You know, if you're running a business, if you're an entrepreneur, if maybe you're a new business owner, what have you, one of the most important things to think about is who are you going to be and what are you going to offer? I was talking to someone on LinkedIn and it... She was putting out some content that was related to a certain um, offering. I can't remember exactly what it was. And then I I made a post that was on like, I think on like P&Ls or finances or something. And she commented and said, this is so right. This is so good. In fact, when I do this for my customers, I try to yada, yada, yada. And I, I, what struck me as odd was I was like, oh, I didn't know you did that for your customers because it's totally different from what I've seen you post about. Well, so I actually reached out to her and was like, hey, so what what do you do? I'm just curious. And she sent me this list that was 20 bullet points long. Maybe it was 15. Maybe I'm exaggerating just a little. It was at least a dozen. I'll tell you that. Of of, of all of these things that she did for business owners. And it was anywhere from SEO to marketing to branding to cash flow to accounting to virtual assistant to HR to, I mean, it was like, I mean, you could take literally every profession that ever existed and bundle it all into this person. And she did it all. Now, I'm not... I'm not saying she couldn't do all these things. I'm, I'm sure she's an amazing person. I'm sure she's capable of doing all these things. The problem with this is that you cannot hope to build a successful, sustainable brand on the 12 bullet points of business life, you know, of like all the things that go into running a business. You can't be the one-stop shop for all of those things. Why can't you be the one-stop shop for all of those things? Because, first of all, you're not going to be talented equally in all those things. But you have this thing called time, 
that prevents you from honing your craft in all 12 of those things. So like the two things that I do for people, I'm really big into leadership and management. It's something that I've worked on for for forever, probably 15 years. I've been I've been passionate about this. You know, I've been working with leaders. I've been thinking about leadership and management. And the other thing that I've been really honing my crafts on and really been throwing myself into is how do you build a sustainable business that customers say yes to? And I've I've put these two things together in this this expression that I've this tagline I've started using for 2020 and 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 by the way, if if you are a new business owner, it's okay to test things out. You know, you're going to try 10 or 12 different things and realize okay, that doesn't click, that doesn't work, you know, what have you. These stories that people tell you they just did something on a whim and it just worked and they became multimillionaires. It's never the whole story and it's simply not true. These are people who are genius marketers who really they tell the story in that way to build followership and to eventually get you to buy from them. The real story though is that it takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of practice, it takes a lot of trying things. I loved my friend Amanda Echegoyan, who's the COO at Community Clinic. She talked about what strategic plans, it was just this random offhand comment on, you know, we develop a strategic plan and then if we need to change it, we change it. And it's like it's like this understanding that it's it's okay to change whatever you're going to do in business, right? And so I say that to mean of the things that you're going to hone your craft on, the things you're going to focus on, it may be different today than it will be a year from now. And that's okay because you're, you're figuring out and you're figuring out, you know, what product, what solution do I want to offer that people really enjoy? Well, what I was trying to say was for me, I'm really jumping on this concept of building 1000 raving fans because I've always loved this concept of 1000 true fans from Kevin Kelly that talks about building a, a, financially stable, sustainable business, it's not about getting thousands of customers. All you need is your 1,000 true fans. And so rather than always focusing on the next customer, how do I get the next customer? How do I find that next person? How do I convert that next person? How about actually retaining your customers and converting them, and I don't mean convert in a sales sense, I mean convert as in transforming them into someone who is a raving fan of yours. That's what this, you know, stroller buyer person became for joy. But this is something that I'm really, it's what I'm trying to talk about for business owners today is I'm, I'm focused on, you know, 1000 raving fans and the way I do that is not just your customers, but also the, which this is so funny to me, people who have employees who hate their own company. <laughs> it makes no sense. It's like these are the people, especially your frontline employees, who could be phenomenal advocates for you and your business. It's like someone I talk to who, I, my dog goes to the vet every now and then. Well, I went out to eat dinner with a couple who, it turns out, the wife used to work at this vet. And I asked her, hey, what do you think about it? And she was like, oh my gosh, it was the best job I ever had. Well, what that does for me now as a customer of that place is I think, well, heck, yeah, I'm going to stay there. I'm going to keep working there. This place sounds phenomenal. This place sounds awesome, right? And so building your thousand raving fans, there's a leadership component to it. And there's also this, this customer component to it. And so those two things are the things that I'm really honing in on for this year. Well, when we think about running a successful business, the concept that I've really drilled down on for this week is your hedgehog statement. 
And if you're not familiar with the hedgehog principle, Jim Collins came up with this, and I think it's genius. Comes up with it in his book, Good to Great, and he talks about how a hedgehog is good at one thing and one thing only. It can't fly, it can't run fast, it can't swim. It is this little cute animal with a bunch of spines on it, and when it gets threatened, it balls up and it defends itself from predators. You know, it's it's that's its thing. That's that's what it does. And it doesn't mean that there's only one thing you do well, but when we talk about building a successful brand, you have to know what your hedgehog is. Jim Collins in his book, and if if you haven't read the book, what he's essentially doing is he's talking about all of the best companies or the longest standing companies for the past several years, in fact, for decades. And ironically, some of those businesses now are no longer around. But something he pointed out was that these companies were so obsessively clear on their hedgehog, what who they were and what they offered and what they did for their customers. And when you muddy that, when you make it unclear, you damage your brand because now there's no uniformity across the people who work uh, or who, who buy your products. But again, you're also not honing your craft and you're also not you're not building a company around an identity that people can really latch on to. And here's a couple of examples of this. In my previous company, we really, we really, I think, struggled with this concept in the sense of in our mind, we were all offering these things under the banner of leadership development. And so it made sense to us. But in the customer's mind, I don't know how clear it was. So like we offered all these programs through customer, through, excuse me, through uh, leadership development. One of them was a ropes course for team building. One of them was a done for you, we'll make a video training series that you can show to your employees. And one of them was uh, strategic planning. We're going to actually help you build the strategy for what you're going to be doing over the next, you know, six to nine to 12 months. So looking at these three areas, the ropes course, somebody comes out and one of our staff people or myself or whoever, we're out there with them and they're going through the ropes course and we're just, we're helping them navigate it as a team. We're pointing out things that they could be working on. We're helping them. We're asking questions in terms of, you know, what is this showing you about your team dynamic? Yada, yada, yada. The done for you video series, it's literally, we're taking a concept, you know, servant leadership, for example, and we're filming a video on it, we're editing it, you know, what have you. Sometimes we're filming it on location. And this is actually just one time we did this where it was just a extremely lengthy video series that we gave to the customer. And the, the strategic plan, we're literally meeting with the C-suite team, doing SWOT analysis with them, helping them navigate, you know, what do they need to really focus on over the next year? You get it. Well, so we had a company come out, a major company in our area who came out to do our ropes course, and they were coming out just because they wanted a team building activity. So they come out to this ropes course and I'm walking them through it. Well, through conversation, what comes up is... They say they're, they've always struggled with their strategic planning. They've never been able to do it well. It's always been a struggle. They kind of always get off base with it. They don't really know what to focus on. And frankly, after like three or four months, the strategic plan just ends up dying anyway because, which by the way, it's, it's, the magic's never in the plan. It's always in the accountability of it and execution of it. Well, so these are all things that I feel really comfortable in. And so as we're wrapping up the day, 
I pull the CEO aside and I say, hey, you know, you mentioned some of these issues with your strap plan. Hey, we could help you with that. We could do that for you. And I could tell as I'm talking, he's a little put off by it. He's kind of like, wait, what? Like, you guys do that? Huh? Like, you do you do strap planning? And I was like, yeah, you know, we, we do strap planning. We do this. This is what it would look like, yada, yada. Well, so he just smiles and he kind of rhetorically was like, uh, no, I don't think I want to do that. And then he, what he said was, you know, why would I hire the ropes course company to do my strap plan? And it kind of makes sense in hindsight. In fact, when I talk about doing the video done for you training series program, I remember the decision maker in this whole process worked directly for the COO we were wrapping up this video series with them and he goes, so when's, what's the next company you're doing this video series for? Or what's the next topic of the next video you're making? And I was like, oh, well, we're actually not doing a video series. We're actually going to be doing, you know, strap plan for somebody or we're going to be. And I even maybe, maybe even to them, he said he needed some team building. I said, oh, we could do that for you. And he, I remember him being shocked and he was like, wait, what? You're not a video company. You're not a marketing company. You're not a, you're not, you're not doing video development for your customers. And I was like, no, we're not a we're not a video company. And he was like, well, that, what? That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why, why are you doing these other things? Now, for, again, for us, it made perfect sense. We were like, oh yeah, we, we get it. But for the customer, you have these different customers who in a vacuum, there's, there's, there's no common ground in their mind in terms of what we offer. And so if, and you've probably heard me talk about my previous company before, when we went through our rebrand, we removed some of those things that we offered. We got rid of the ropes course. We stopped doing that. It was kind of like, you know, it's kind of out of scope of what we offer. And we tried to really hone in on what we offer in terms of a leadership development company. Well, I've noticed that same problem with people that I work with now that they will try to do 20 or 30 different things rather than really focusing on the one thing. And maybe even sometimes it's not even like, you know, different, totally different industries that they're trying to get involved in. Sometimes it's just a multitude of product when they don't even have any customers. So like one guy I talked to, he was trying to start a coffee company and he had like 25 or 30 different blends that he was trying to sell. He didn't have any customers yet, but he had all these different products. And it was kind of like, why not just drill down to the five or to the 10? And, you know, and sell those. I mean, you have so many. It's like I get to the website and I get inundated with so many options. And I'm like, I don't even know who you are, right? And so another way to think about this is, and this is this one's going to be maybe, this is going to throw you a little bit, but I worked for a cryptocurrency company. And this would have been probably two years ago. And if you don't know anything about crypto or Bitcoin or, or what have you, you know, don't get in the weeds on it. Basically, if I can just if I can just give you like the short and long of it. So you have Bitcoin. Well, you also have all these other coins, too, that people like to trade and buy and use for different purposes. Some of these coins are known for different things. So like one coin is known for being very fast. So one of the caveats of Bitcoin, if you were to ever pay something with Bitcoin, like on a debit card, and you were like at a coffee shop, some of the concerns with Bitcoin a couple of years ago was that you could try to pay at your coffee shop and it would just be slow. Like imagine like today when you buy something with your debit card and it says like processing, imagine that taking 
you know, three, four, five minutes. I mean, you'd be like, what is going on? So that was one of the concerns with Bitcoin a couple of years ago. I have no idea if it's a concern today. So there was a coin that was known for being lightning fast. Like that was its deal, was that it was so fast, it could do transactions in microseconds. There was another coin that was known for being uh, the people's coin. It was not owned by a certain company other than the company that was like the company that was like designing it was doing it all fully open source. It was programming it in a way where anybody could access it. And it was just designed to be what they, what they would call decentralized so that it doesn't necessarily belong to anybody. It's like this very much, you know, at the time it was like a 2019 ish you know, this is the people's coin. This is this is yours. It's going to belong to you. It's not going to belong to banks or whoever. Uh, if that's confusing, don't even worry about it. Just know it's the people's coin, okay? The third coin was known for security. It was a coin that could store your data in a way that is, uh, it was um, uh, not decrypted. What's the opposite? Uh, codified. I, I don't know the word. I can't think of it. But you could store your data and you could even, it, it, not only would it, it, could it store your data that was private, it could also be, you had other security coins where you could do transactions and it wouldn't keep any data. And so some of these coins were used totally on the black market because you would do deals with it and there'd be no way to track your identity or anything about you. And so this was a very sexy coin for people who maybe were using it for nefarious purposes. So three different coins, three distinct differences, whether it's speed, whether it's who it belongs to, whether it's security, privacy, what have you. Here's what I'm getting at. So I start working for this cryptocurrency company a couple of years ago, and I'm just, I'm just an outside consultant. And I'm trying to help them figure out who their users are going to be. Not necessarily their customers, but who their users are going to be. And I say, well, tell me about your coin. Like, what, what's special about your coin? And they said, well, it's great. We want to be known for being fast. We want to be known for being secure and private. And we want to be known as the people's coin. And I said, okay, here's the problem. There's already three major players who are known for those three things. They said, well, we want to be those things too. And it's like, yeah, of course you do. But the issue is your brand now is competing against all those different things. What you need is a hedgehog statement. You need an identity around what is the one thing that defines you? What is the one thing? If I'm going to go with you, what am I going to get from you? You know, and, and, and this is... This is no different from what we see out in retail, out in the business world. People love Amazon. Why? What's the one thing they get from Amazon that they don't get from, sorry, Walmart.com or from Target.com or which some of these things now you can get from those websites, but at the time you couldn't. The one thing Amazon was known for when they first became a major player was two-day shipping. That was the thing. You're getting expedited. You're, you're getting two-day shipping that's not going to cost you a fortune and outstanding customer service where if you need to return something, they basically return it, no questions asked. That's their deal. That's their thing, right? And so you have these companies where when they do this well, they build this brand that is so identifiable. It's so powerful. 
I mean, people just can they can can easily latch onto it. And frankly, this this was even the you know I just knocked Walmart. Let's let's praise Walmart for a second. Walmart rose to fame because you could get literally anything there at the cheapest price possible. It's how they, I mean, they were supply chain geniuses to the point where a lot of mom and pop shops couldn't compete with them. They couldn't stay in business because it was, they were just such a titan in, in the industry. On the flip side, we're seeing companies that are really struggling to do this well, and their brand is suffering because of it. I think it was Bob Sager on a previous podcast. I think it was him, maybe it was someone else who talked about like the hotel industry. Is there really any difference between the hotels? You know, when you go to a Hyatt or a Hilton or a, uh, you know, obviously I don't go to a lot of hotels because I can't think of any of the other names now. But when you go to a hotel, it's the experience is pretty much the same. The room is pretty much exactly the same. I would even, I would venture to, to bet that a lot of the vendors, you know, people who pro- provide, provide linens and, you know, cleaning or whatever, that I would venture to guess that some of them actually have many of the same customers, the same hotels. And so if all these places are exactly the same, well, what do you look at? You just look at the cheapest hotel without feeling like you're going to get mugged or, you know, something's going to happen to you or it's not going to be clean. And so going back to this cryptocurrency company, it was like, you guys really need to hone in on what is the one thing that you're going to be known for. And that's true for business owners everywhere. You may feel like you can offer anything. You may feel like you're so talented in everything, but until you really latch on to what is your hedgehog, until you really identify that, people are not going to buy from you because who they're going to prefer to go to is the brand leader in that area. They're going to prefer to go to the person who is a specialist. You know, it's kind of like when you think about If I need open heart surgery, am I going to go to the heart surgeon or am I going to go to the doctor who knows about heart surgery or the surgeon who who could probably do it? I'm going to go to the specialist. I'm going to go to the person who has literally spent their, their years honing their craft and focusing on this one thing. It may feel like a boost to your ego. It may feel exciting to be able to say, hey, we can do these 10, 15, 20 different things. It may feel great to be known as the one-stop shop for everything in your industry, but I want to challenge you, hone in on your craft, figure out your hedgehog statement, and then whatever that one thing is, if you can't describe it in a sentence, it's way too generic. It's way too broad. It's you're doing too much. But if you can say it in a statement, make that your branding statement, make that your identity, and then go out and find the customers who love that one thing. And then as your brand grows, as you get more known or you get more profitable, you can start to dabble in some of these other things. You know, a great example of this for me would be whenever my business gets a bit more profitable, I'll probably do something on the side for coaches. You know, I've worked in the coaching space for, I guess, four or five years now. Well, whenever I start, you know, getting a business that is kind of running on its own in some ways, I'll probably on the side start helping coaches. Hey, if you want a coaching business, I can help you do that. If you want to get your first coaching customers, I can help you do that. If you want to be a coach without any kind of, you know, national, international coaching federation credentials or what have you, 
considering I don't have anything like that, I can probably help you, you know? And so I think that's food for thought. And, and I think it's challenging to do sometimes because it feels bad to say no to some things that you know you could be doing. It feels bad, almost like you're losing customers to not be able, you know, it's actually one of my customers I was talking to a few weeks ago. I was asking the question, you know, who's your niche? Like, who do you really focus on? And he said, well, we don't, prefer, we prefer not to have a niche because we don't want to lose customers elsewhere. And it's like, yeah, I, I get that. I get that you don't want to lose the opportunity for customers, but actually what you're doing is you're preventing yourself from gaining customers in that niche area because you're not hyper-focusing on these are the people that we want. Create your hedgehog statement and let that be the identity of your brand. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it out. Feel free to like, subscribe to the podcast. I would say like the podcast. There's no like button on here. I've been on social media too much. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, what have you, and I will catch you next week. See ya.